0: Welcome to Zero Knowledge, a podcast where we explore the latest in blockchain technology and the decentralized web. The show is hosted by me, Anna,
1: and me, Frederick. In this episode, we sit down with the guys from OS Coin to talk about open source incentivization and sustainability, open source governance, and even dig a little bit into why you would want to build your own blockchain.
0: So today we're sitting down with Alexi and Ele from OS Coin. OS Coin is moving the open source uh, ecosystem onto the blockchain and looking to back it with its own cryptocurrency. Uh, guys, do you want to just quickly introduce yourselves?
2: Um, yeah. So my name is Alexi. I'm a um, software engineer. Um, I am one of the founders of OS Coin, and um, I've been working in the software industry for about 10 years um, and doing a lot of open source uh, work in my spare time and working mostly in uh, basically like web companies um, until until recently. Um, my last job was at uh, Cosmos Tendermint and um, since about a year uh, I've been working on
3: uh, OS Coin. Cool. And my name is Eleftherios. You can call me Ele though. That's, that's that's good. I'm um, a statistician by training, uh, and I learned how to code when I was a kid. Um, for the last seven years, I was at SoundCloud, the music company. I was an early employee there and I ended up building for them their data science teams. Uh, uh, and yeah, for the last year, together with Alexi, we've been working on, on OS Coin. My scientific interests always lied between network science, statistics and, and computer science. So I'm excited about communities on the Internet, how they, you know, how people work together. Um, and yeah, and what we're doing with Coin is very, very relevant to that.
1: What would you say the overall goal of OS Coin is? Like, if you put it into context, what, what are you trying to achieve and what's the problem you're
3: trying to solve? So so what we what we're trying to achieve with Westcoin has two sides. Uh the one the one part of it is basically it it's it's an open source platform for collaboration around open source code. That isn't controlled by a single entity. Call it GitHub, call it GitLab, call it whatever you want to call it. Uh, so that's the one part of that. Uh, and then the second part that we, that we're going after is the problem of open source sustainability. Uh, how can we enable different forms of incentivization around open source projects? And help some of these developers capture some of the value that is being created around their projects. So it's it's these two projects. This, this, it's these two parts uh, that 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 comprise what we call a West Coin.
0: In your on your website, you've stated that you're you're doing this as a proof of stake um, project. Why why is that? Why did you choose proof of stake?
2: Um, it, it's actually still under debate. I think um, like as a kind of altruistic movement you know, like open source would be misaligned if it also ruined the environment. So I think that's where this is coming from. But there are a lot of issues with proof of stake, obviously. And um, so it's a little bit of a, we have a bit of a conflict there between, you know, something that works really, really well, but is not good for the planet and something that works uh, less well. but. Um, has no environmental impact. So, yeah.
0: is that something that you guys are actually actively researching? Because I know that there's some other suggestions, some other proposals yeah. around that.
2: Yeah, we're we're actively researching this, um, mainly looking at existing solutions and what what we could use. What seems the most promising.
1: So this brings me to a question about where in the development lifecycle OS coin is right now. Is it research stage? Have you just started implementation or you know, are you releasing mm-hmm. next week? Uh, where are you with this?
2: <laughs> um, yeah, it's, I would say early development stage. So we did a bunch of research last year and we're still doing a lot, um, but we've started developing the, the main client. And yeah, I would say we're 25% in something like that might be optimistic but in terms of our plans at least
1: definitely like started coding and you're, you're yeah, on yeah, your yeah. way down this path uh, yeah.
3: yeah we've been we've been we've been in that phase for a while now we didn't want to go out with a white paper that be couldn't defend as a lot of teams do on the space. So what we ended up doing is we ended up researching, writing and building, prototyping and then, you know, going back to whiteboard uh, until we had something that we felt that we can stand behind. And now we do have that. Uh, and we plan to start open sourcing components of what we're building in the summer. Uh, but, you know, nothing, nothing fully functional as a testnet yet. Uh, and, you know, we we aiming for early 2019 for a, for a public testnet no? mm.
1: I think that's a good approach. And, uh, I mean, you've had your uh, sort of manifest and what OS coins goals are on your website for a while. And you've added a little bits and pieces to that over time. And in one place, you, you kind of say that you want to be able to, you want to define a protocol and then write an implementation, but, but really let it. Be open to multiple implementations, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but you've you've also uh, sort of defined this self-amending core language called Radical without any real definition of what that is. Can you talk more about what Radical is? So
2: we think of Radical um, basically as the underlying platform on which we're going to build the Coin. Um, and so you can think of maybe you could think of it as uh, our internal Ethereum or internal smart contract language, or es- essentially the um, lower level uh, infrastructure on which we can program the higher level semantics of OS coin, like issues and code and uh, currencies, et cetera. So this is something we've been developing uh, for the last few months, and um, it should give us essentially enough flexibility to make mistakes, to, to try new designs out, um, and not to essentially hard code everything in the client.
0: So is that a language then, or is that more like the equivalent of the EVM?
2: Yeah, it's, it's both. So it's, it's its own language uh, and it's, it's basically uh, um, derived from Scheme. So it's a very simple language um, and it's also an interpreter. So it's um, in in that sense, like the EVM, but it's all in one. So there's no um there's no bytecode essentially at
3: the moment. And Alexa, do you wanna maybe uh, explain why we ended up going for, for our own implementation for 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 that versus you know using something existing? That's always helpful.
2: Yeah, so so part of the idea of using um first of all a scheme or, or any Lisp really is um, that it's very easy to write code that amends itself and that changes itself, right? So that's kind of the the core characteristic of, of Lisp is this fact that code is data and data is code depending on how you interpret it. Um, And so we chose a scheme for this reason because um, it it allows us to build these kinds of um, self-amending structures and code bases, uh, which are super helpful for blockchain applications, um, especially in the context of governance, right? So when you have a, a platform or a language that can easily upgrade itself without having to you know, restart the node or do a hard software upgrade, then you can have a lot more flexibility there.
1: It sounds uh, similar in goal to Polkadot's Substrate. Have you seen anything about that?
2: Yeah, I, I just very, very recently was told about it and heard about it, but I didn't have the chance to dig in deeper.
1: Yeah, so with Substrate, basically, you have a WebAssembly VM or a WebAssembly runtime defined at at a sort of block level Uh, so it gives you everything basic that you need in a blockchain like syncing and you know databases Mm -hmm. whatever and then it lets you write your runtime in WebAssembly. and then there's a governance mechanism around upgrading that runtime so you never have to actually like install a new node or uh, upgrade your node or anything you just as soon as the the on-chain governance decides what the new runtime is that's what's being used.
3: Yeah, that sounds similar. If, if I can add uh, one more thing, is that also in terms of what we're building, uh, as, as we are building a network for and a platform for open source collaboration, we really wanted to somehow be able to isolate con- concerns and focus on developer experience. We, did, we didn't want to have an experience where basically if there's a conflict in your repo, in your code base, we're going to slow down the rest of the network. Uh, so we had to experiment with yeah. with with different architectures there. Uh, and Alex, maybe you want to talk about a bit about partial ordering as well.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, p- part of the the idea behind Radical was also indeed to um, kind of go away from a total order of transactions because you know you, you don't want everyone in the world to have to always wait on a block to to be minted, for example, and you also don't need to really order certain things. So if if you're building a a currency, then then you want to make sure everything is ordered or almost everything. Um, But um, since that's only one aspect of the platform we're building, we can have um, actually partial ordering or no ordering for certain things Um, like, um, you know, pushes across multiple repos may not need to be ordered towards each other. Um, And so part of the idea with radical is that we can have these different chains, essentially, which are within like internally ordered, but externally not ordered uh, across each other. Um, And each chain can represent, for example, a code repository, or um, a currency or something like that, or an organization. Or an organization.
0: Speaking about, I just want to go back to the topic of collaboration and this idea that we kind of were talking about earlier on. You guys are trying to build sort of a a platform or a space for open source software development to happen in a collaborative way, which sounds a little bit a lot like GitHub. Um, Hmm. so maybe we can talk really quickly. This is actually the first time we speak about this on the podcast, but in June, there was an announcement that GitHub would be purchased by Microsoft. There was this made a lot of waves in the community. A lot of people were really annoyed. Very few people seemed super happy. Uh, what was your thinking on this? Like what when that, like, do you guys see yourselves in relation to this space? Is that, do you see yourselves as like aiming to replace github like what's the
3: sure uh, so so a few things there um, so starting with github okay github obviously is a centralized hosting and collaboration provider on top of a decentralized protocol right which is which is git uh, so 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 when we started thinking about all of these different networks, Uh, what we started observing was that, you know, GitHub started as a hosting provider, but actually it became much more than that, right? Today, GitHub is a platform, not just for, uh, not just for hosting, but also for collaboration and decision-making around code and CI and, and, and all of these things that are being provided there on the, on the GitHub marketplace. So when we started thinking about this whole thing, uh, Obviously, we realize that this is just another social network today. It just happens to be the social network for for coding and when it comes when it comes to social networks, uh, obviously you know when 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 we're thinking about centralization right there's technical centralization, there's economic centralization, there's logical centralization one one of the most problematic things that we've always found was that basically again we have another model where Just a few individuals get to capture all the value that's being created in that Mm -hmm. sharing economy, right? In that, in that specific use case, the sharing economy is about open source code. But as we've seen a few weeks ago with the Microsoft, with the Microsoft acquisition, again, when that acquisition mm-hmm. happened, you know, we had a few individuals making seven and a half billion. I guess that was the price. Uh, but the rest of the open source community is seeing nothing of that, yeah. uh, which obviously poses one very, very fundamental question, which is in a social network, there is value on network effects. There's value for providing an infrastructure, but obviously there's value on the network effects. The participants, the communities, the people that live and engage in, in, in these networks provide something to that and don't see anything back from that. Yeah. So, so when we started thinking about OScoin, we saw two opportunities. The one opportunity was like, hey, can we provide infrastructure? Can we provide an open source and decentralized platform for all of these things that you know, GitHub is providing today, uh, but without having this economic centralization around this 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 one company. And 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 when we started thinking about that, we 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 started realizing that like, hey, we believe that we can provide a much more fault tolerant infrastructure on the one side, but also try to bake in some of these beautiful things that. Crypto economies enable specifically economic decentralization, and the core idea there was that, like, hey, can we develop a network where open source projects are hosted in the network? You know, live and, and the developers live and engage, and engage around uh, in, in this in this platform, but also let this open source project own the platforms where they engaging, right? Uh, and that's the idea of community governance around around what we're building. Um, yeah, and, and a bit of history on that is that might be helpful for the listeners. We saw Bitcoin, and we got excited with Bitcoin, particularly because of this ability to distribute funds to network operators without single corporation in control. And then we started seeing networks like uh, Zcash or Dash that took the same idea of minting of new tokens and distributing them to value producers and extended that. To developers and to the other people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. To people that doing that were doing other work. On the ZCAS case, that's the ZikaS Foundation. On the DAS case they have this interesting governance scheme where the token holders can finance specific proposals of work. So when we started thinking of all of these things, we're like, hey, can we build a more resilient open source infrastructure for open source projects? But also, can we create incentivization mechanisms? Can we create create a mechanism that distributes ownership of this platform to open source developers? And, and and that's where we're coming from, basically. So these things extended this concept and try to generalize this now to any open source work, not wow. just protocol upgrades.
0: It sounds like a really ambitious project, <laughs> like taking on yep. GitHub, redistributing open source um, funding. Like there's governance. It's a, there's a lot going on there. It's crazy.
3: Good. Yeah, I mean, we, we, always, we always say that, that, that we are in for the long run. Uh, we, in comparison to most, most teams, you know, we started this almost a year ago and, you know, we didn't rush on anything. We, 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 we try to be very thoughtful and, and try to build things, test, learn, and then slowly, you know, like developing and, 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 and realizing this bigger vision. And indeed, the vision is, is quite big.
0: So you just mentioned um, Dash and the treasury system. I think that's what you were kind of referencing. Can you explain, so maybe you can explain a little bit what that is. Like what is the Dash treasury system and what are you inspired by in that?
3: Yeah uh so, so 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 the idea uh the, the the idea that I that I explained before think bitcoin okay let's start with bitcoin every new block we are minting a few new tokens and distributing them to 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 to, to, to miners that decentralize and secure the network thus has a similar idea where at every block you mint a few new tokens but instead of distributing them all to miners you're distributing some to miners and some of these tokens go to a treasury system. In that treasury system, uh, now anyone can go and propose work, call it a protocol upgrade, call it marketing work, call it research, and then the existing token holders can actually go vote with their stake, vote vote with their with their tokens and then decide if they wanna finance different pieces of work. Uh, so that, that was that was inspiring to us because we started seeing like a new form of work in these decentralized networks, extending this idea of verifiable computation, which is what proof of work is, to human work, and and then that really got us thinking that hey, what about the open source world? You know, there we have all of this infrastructure that. You know, it's definitely contributing to the rest of the technology ecosystem, uh, but we have no way to finance that. It's actually, it's actually very problematic. It usually happens either through donations or through corporate sponsorships or through the enterprise support plan. So we were like, what actually if we try to enable these open source projects to own the network that that, that they that that the networks that that they engage in, right? And 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 we like that a lot. Um, One fundamental thing that we believe that cryptocurrencies enable is is Joel Monegro puts it as this breaking down, this distinction between equity and currency, right? So what Joel says is that basically, you know, until now, just a few people in this world live their life in equity. That usually accrues value over time, while the rest of us usually live our life in currency, that loses value over time, right? So one of the things that we believe that cryptocurrencies enable, and we wrote about that in in in, in one of our recent blog posts, is they, they break down this distinction. You know, everyone is aligned behind one token that represents both equity or ownership, if you want to think about, and currency within the network. And we think that this could be a different way to incentivize open source uh, versus every other you know possible way that we've seen until today.
0: In that, in that model, so like, so you had the treasury system, you have sort of like funds dedicated to these things. People can make proposals towards them. But that voting still, it's like, it's still the, the largest token holders would have the most power. And the largest token holders may not be the biggest contributors.
3: Great. Right. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, let's actually talk a little bit about that. So when we started the project, we started looking towards curation markets, right? And, and the idea of curation markets uh, is simply, hey, you can vote with your tokens. You can signal within the protocol uh, what is valuable to you. And then the protocol, for example, when, when it mints new tokens, it's going to distribute these newly minted tokens proportionally. Obviously, as you just, just just communicated, this has a lot of problems. So the, the most classic problem I call the selfish investment is that I'm a big token holder uh, and then I can just go stay behind my hello world. And now suddenly my hello world starts receiving new tokens, right? Uh, and obviously there's no value there. Uh, as we were going through the project, we started looking deeper and moving from Classic curation markets to token curated registries, and what we really like with token curated registries was specifically this idea of self-organization. Token curated registries enable the communities to self-organize around certain values, a code of contact, certain rules. Uh, so, what we started playing with, and this is the direction that we currently uh, are currently um, working on, uh, currently experimenting with, uh, is this idea of like, hey. Can we have a community? Can we have a code of conduct within that community? And then you can play this curation game, but also the community has the ability to self-organize and protect its commons. And in this Mm -hmm. case, the commons are the the commons. The commons. This is the treasury, right? Uh, So enable the community to self-organize to make sure that tokens will end up to projects that satisfy uh, the code of conduct that the community agrees on. Uh, and 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 that's 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 the core idea. So it's moving from a curation market towards a token creator registry and self organization.
1: I talked to John Choi in a previous episode of this podcast about you know how do you incentivize core development and and these kind of donation funds like the ECF and the Ethereum Foundation's sharding fund and etc. Are kind of popping up as being like the popular way to fund open source work right now but ultimately it's it's an unsustainable way of funding things and you kind of always get back to the same question of like okay if we create a inflation funding model how do we decide who we pay what money (laughs) and like what is this work worth or how do you estimate the ability of someone to deliver something uh, that they're saying that they are going to deliver um and so yeah, I think that's an important question to tackle and it sounds like you thought a lot about it.
3: Yeah, totally. Uh, one, one thing that we're thinking there and what one thing that we really like in this model is particularly this idea that you know you on, on OSCoin you just join the network uh, and then you have your code hosted and then you can collaborate around code in your in the open source projects that live within the network. Uh, and you do that right, like you just you get that utility, this is a utility component of the protocol, but on top of that, if the community values your work then 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 they can support you through through this process of curation that that, that we just explained and one of the things that we like there is that you know the, the, the model here is that people do work. For, op- like, they do open source work for their own reasons. Most people don't start open source for money, right? They just start mm-hmm. open source for all sorts of different reasons call it reputation, call it intellectual curiosity, call it participating in a community, finding a community. So, what we like here is that it doesn't have this transactional nature, which is I'm going to pay you for that you know like a bounty style which you can have you know you can do this on the protocol one of the beauties of the protocol is that enables also all all sorts of uh all all different forms of incentive many different forms of incentivization sorry but what we like in this particular staking game is that actually you just do work for your own reasons and if the community values you then they just now you know start supporting right it's almost like crowdfunding but you're not really funding yourself you as the the person that's funding you know you hold your assets these are your own assets but now you can actually go and and help an open source project uh after they've done the work uh and you as an investor you can show that this is you know you, you can you can prove it's de- deterministic that you know open source project a made 555 five, five os coins because of your 100 West coin stake, for example. Uh, so that's, th- that was the part that we liked. Uh, we saw that actually that fits very well with, with, with the open source community. You know, previously open source and money have been two concepts that, you know, haven't been working that well together. Uh, many times because of the ethics be- behind the open source community. Uh, so we thought that there's something interesting here that, mm-hmm. that we should experiment with.
1: I almost want to make another callback to the Griff episode because he was saying similar things about um, volunteer space. So he's working on Giveth and the volunteer space. And he was saying like, volunteers don't want to be paid. And if you put a salary
3: on it, then it's, you know, I don't want to work for that, this shitty salary. <laughs> yep, totally, totally, totally. Our, our, our approach with OSCoin is very similar to that. We want to provide a platform for you to engage in and then if the community values your work, now you're being incentivized on top of that, right? You're yeah. not being incentivized to do that work. So, so this comes after the fact. Uh, and that way you get to see ownership in that network. And then the last part, in the last part of what we're building, we want to give you tools to create project-specific incentivization experiences as you see fit, uh, one, one, one of the things that I always mention is that, you know, imagine if GitHub tomorrow add a button which says buy a license or, you know, buy support, right? You know, or, you know, like introduce bounties. We will see these markets opening up 10x or, you know, maybe yeah. 100x. Who knows? Simply because that would be in the workflow of, of, of developers. So what we want to do with Escoin is we want to give tools to developers to combine codes, issues, which is a decision-making mechanism around code and, and, and this new digital money tokens, uh, and then enable them to create any form of incentivization experience as they see fit. Uh, some examples that we always talk about, think about like, hey, company X, you depend on me. Uh, if you want prioritization of your issues, you have to stake behind me, you have to support me. Or you have to pay something to me, right? Uh, if you wanna have, you know, as, as I mentioned, buy support, 48 hour resolution of your issues, same story. Uh, potentially licenses, right? Like, you know, hey, buy a license, or a different, you know, form of participate on building of new like participate on the project governance. What kind of features should we build, right? So so different different developers can design different experiences around that. We don't wanna go dictate that. But we want to give tools to developers to do this in their workflow. Uh, and that's, that's, a, that's a key difference to everything else that we've seen before.
0: So you mentioned sort of the, the ethics part, like a lot of the open source community, the issues that they often have in this sort of like earning of money is like in the ethics of earning of money. But do you actually think that having a token would really change that? Like, isn't it still the same problem?
3: Uh, it, it isn't. It isn't. Uh, so... What's interesting with open-source community, with, like think about the open-source movement, obviously, you know, this is coming from the, from the free software movement, right? So there's this deep history and, 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 and that's, you know, that's, that's great. As the world evolved, like, you know, as, as the world evolved with the open-source movement, we started seeing actually people experimenting with, hey, I'm doing this work, I guess, you know, I'm doing this for, for, for my own reasons, but, you know, if he can support me, that's great. Mm. Uh, So, 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 and then we started also observing this, you know, the, the, the dependency of the, of the, of the, of the digital world to the, to, to open source. Like we always say that, you know, open source now is behind almost every digital organization out there. Uh, And, 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 and what we like, like, sorry. Yeah, open source is behind every digital organization out there. Think about hospitals, think about universities, think about Fortune 500 companies. Now, almost every digital organization depends in an open source code base somewhere down its stack. And 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 what we start observing observe in open source communities is almost like an evolution of this concept, which is summarized by my code is free, right? The code is open and it's free. You can use it, but my time isn't. And, and, and we, we want to enable more of that. You know, we believe that indeed open source is public good and we want to make sure that this remains, you know, uh, open and accessible. But on the other side, we are aware of, of this dynamics that we see in our economies around us. Uh, where a few individuals around open source are capturing value build on open source technology and not give anything back. So, 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 so we want to enable developers to capture some of that value as they see fit, as, as I explained before. It's up to them. But we want to give them tools to do that today because they don't have these tools today. It's actually very, very problematic. So, yeah, on open source and money, I don't think that these two things you know, have to go against each other. Uh, I really believe that we can get more creative. Uh, the problem is not you know, money. The problem is how money is distributed. The problem is the rules of the game. Right? Uh, so, yeah, we want to do something different there.
2: I feel like somehow, at least from my personal point of view, um, cryptocurrency doesn't feel as dirty as money. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Um, It might be because it's more techie, or because um, the first one ever was open source, or it might be because, in a sense, it's it's community run or or decentralized. I don't know, Um, but it it definitely feels different to receive Bitcoin, for example, compared to receiving dollars or euros. There's a kind of kind of essential difference
3: we play that? I, I agree, actually, with Alexei. I think Alexis' is right on the feel of it. You know, when when you're dealing with cryptocurrencies, you don't have that that feeling. Although on the other side, you know, we start seeing many of these open source, uh, sorry, many of these decentralized networks um, being very centralized in terms of economic decentralization, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so yeah, I think people appreciate that the rules of the game are much more transparent because they are codified. I think there's definitely that appreciation that is helping, while with the rest of our economies, it's very hard to track down where money is coming from, where money is going. Uh, but we see this as an opportunity to do something different. Uh, I don't know how the future will play out, but we really believe that we have to save that. You know, We have to experiment with these forms of economic decentralization that previously we were unable to. And, and that's why we talk about community ownership and community governance that's that's the experiment that that, that we're playing with speaking of
1: cryptocurrencies and and value and a little bit of this uh, going back to the implementation and motivations there, why did you decide to have your own cryptocurrency at all? Why is it not a token on ethereum
3: yeah so so the core the core idea was that we wanted to build a network where open source projects are you know, host it and people collaborate around open source code that had this mechanism. Uh, some people call it inflation funding these days. Uh, but the core idea was like, let's create a network where there is value in the platform, in the network, uh, create it. And then let's have this mechanism that distributes value back to the value producers. We wouldn't be able to do this by actually using a different cryptocurrency. Imagine this network like being built as a network with Ethereum as its own currency, we wouldn't be able to play this inflationary game, right? Uh so we wouldn't be able to distribute value and ownership if we didn't control the currency. Uh so that's that was that was the key motivation. Yeah. We needed we wanted to have our own currency to be able to distribute it to the value producers as 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 we see fit in the network. But in terms of actually, you know, like Building another ERC twenty token and doing that, we could have done that. We decided not to at the time because Ethereum was very expensive for what we're doing and very slow, uh, and it didn't fit our needs that well. Uh, and Alex can talk more about that. Yeah, in terms of
2: you know not not building an ERC twenty token, it's mostly the the issues with the Ethereum network. Um, as Ellie said, doing transactions on Ethereum, running smart contracts, uh, is very expensive still, and that's because Ethereum is having problems scaling, right? And it's been having problems scaling since, you know, years. And um, the Ethereum Foundation have been working on a solution to this for years. And we decided that we didn't want to wait. Essentially, we, uh, um, you know, took it upon ourselves to, to build something that would work for us. And perhaps it would not work for anyone else, but um, it's something that we could use and that we could optimize to have cheap transactions for the kinds of, transactions that we need. Um, And this is uh, especially important because um, this is a tool that would be used within a developer's workflow, right? So pushing, pulling, committing, opening issues, closing issues, all of that stuff um, happens every day, every hour. Um, And so potentially it would be a lot of transactions per person to be run uh, every day. And with the current uh, gas prices on Ethereum, this would just be untenable, um, and uh, it remains to be seen how Ethereum is going to scale in the next years. But
3: yeah, yeah, and 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 uh, to, to add on what Alexis said, you know, we we're building a domain-specific blockchain, uh, and we actually think that probably that's how the world will play out, you know, more domain-specific blockchains communicating with each other rather than this one thing that captures everything. To be seen, we're we following everything that's happening on the space from, you know, what you all are working on, Parity, you know, Ethereum, Cosmos, Cardano. When we started this, it was basically only Ethereum and, it, you know, for the reasons that Alex explained, we decided not to, to build it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I... I obviously agree with that as being one of the builders of such a system that would be can consist of domain specific blockchains that talk to each other um but um so you were talking a bit about value and what's interesting to me in this system is that obviously these tokens could have fiat value as you know um, on any other blockchain but what's interesting to me is that they they wouldn't necessarily have to have fiat value. So if you actually only use those coin and there's no exchange that supports it, you might still want to use it because like, as an open source contributor, I very often wish to have some work done on like a dependency that I'm using or a library or like something um, else in the ecosystem that I'm not directly working on, but I want work to be done on. So I I made this kind of dominology at one point of like some some um, like cryptocurrency tokens are essentially like I will pay you to milk my cow and then you know I you know. can use this token to only milk like pay others to milk my cow. So I'm the <laughs> only one that ever profits from it. And like there are seriously like token economic models that look like that and it's it's Kind of saddening. Um, Quick but side. Here, did yeah. you
0: make that up? Uh,
1: I think it was actually Brian, <laughs> buddy of mine, who made it up. Okay, I like it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I want to give you credit, but okay, yeah. credit goes to Brian. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but um, but here, I actually like I contribute to open source work, and I want to pay others to do open source work for me. So there doesn't need to be a fiat value involved at all really yeah. how do you see this play out that it will be on all exchanges or like what do you think no
2: i i completely agree i think the one reason you would want a, a fiat exchange is if in the future someone is able to live on this like especially you know someone's working from a developing country and you know what they need to survive is one tenth or one hundredth of uh, what is needed you know in new york or san francisco or something like that um, then potentially there, there, it would be possible to live off of what you receive in WestCoin and that would be amazing. Um, so I, I would say that's the only reason why you would want to exchange it for some, something like dollars or some other currency um, because you you could use it to pay rent, basically. Um, besides that, I, I, I agree that if the currency is exchanged within the network, um, that's great and that should be the primary use case because, indeed, developers um, within this network will ask things from each other. As as you put it, with dependencies especially, that's going to happen a lot. I was actually talking to someone from a project called Circles the other day, and they basically have this where every person, uh, every human, essentially has their own token. And so it, it ends up meaning that There's no way to exchange that on a, on a, you know, versus fiat because someone buying the token will be buying someone, like a a person's token, right? So there's no kind of common coin. Um, but for, for them, this makes a lot of sense because they can, um, exchange it amongst themselves and kind of the, the trust is, uh, um, passed along based on the actual, um, sort of relationship you have between people. And so we can imagine something similar between projects on OSCoin um, for internal trading.
0: Can I ask the real like downer question on this?
2: Go
3: for it.
0: What about taxation and the rest of the world? Like yep. no one's going to like this if you're doing work for each other and not paying taxes somewhere.
3: Yep. I, the big, I think you're asking a great question, which is a bigger question for cryptocurrencies, right? Uh, so... Uh, this is This is a question that I think the whole space needs to answer as we you know we 're moving towards this token economy where we have different types of work networks right so we definitely like you know we definitely don 't have the answer or pretend that we have the answer on that, although to give you a counter uh, if you think, if you really research what 's going on in open source today, you have all of these people that actually want to give back like I was actually Uh, speaking with one of the founders of SoundCloud the other day and he was telling me about this one story where they wanted to just, you know, incentivize an open source, like, software uh, that, you know, I think you all use as well. Uh, You know the name and I'm not going to say the name, uh, but they had no way to do this because there was no legal entity, right? So, so, so... the, the, one of the, that that that's a real problem that companies like Open Collective, for example, are, are working hard to to solve. But the beauty of crypto is that we all have wallets, right? You know, you can indeed have this form of incentivization because anyone in the network has a wallet. So, so you can have these direct transactions. So I believe that technology, as always, will evolve first. And then we would have to actually answer some of these bigger questions around like uh, taxation uh, and 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 law so to be seen
1: i mean it's not an unprecedented situation where like in a small community you'll have one guy say i'll paint your fence if you fix my car mm-hmm. i mean there's no way to tax tax that
0: <laughs> except that there are records of it happening
3: yep i mean i would i would, I would general- yes you're right i would just generalize to thing about mining, right? Mining is just another form of work that a few people are providing within networks. So within a network. So I don't think that that's that different. I think we're extending that 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 concept. Um, yeah. I think that there's one macro trend behind what Frederick was saying that I want to give back to open source. I believe that we're gonna see that much more in the future simply for one main reason. Uh, for the first time ever, we have a big technology trend, a big technology way that is almost exclusively open source. On the blockchain, most projects are open source. We never had that before, right? So finally, right now, we have this one big market. Is it, I don't know what's the price today, but a few hundreds of billions that are all exclusively open source. And guess what? Most of these people want to give back where they're coming from. Right? So we're going to see a lot more of that behavior, we believe, and, and we want to be one of the projects that will enable that to happen.
0: We spoke a little bit before this interview about the purpose of the OS coin, one being as a platform for collaboration, governance of open source only projects. This is what we have mostly been talking about, but what we didn't really touch on was the open source sustainability. And like one of the big issues being that it's really fun and cool and awesome to like ship new code. And a lot of people really love doing that. But then there's this grind work, bug fixing, checking over stuff, all of that kind of work that tends not to be as fun and sexy and awesome. And in an altruism only system, it's harder to incentivize people to actually maintain code. So tell me a little bit about that and how you guys think about that.
3: Very, very important question. And I'm glad that you remember that, actually. So a lot of people talk about the open sustainability problem, and many of them immediately default to let's incentivize contributions to open source, And then you look at the data. And and GitHub actually is making a lot of data widely accessible around the usage of open source. And what you see there is that usage of open source software has skyrocketed over the years. Contributions Contributions to open source software have also increased significantly over the years. But the one thing that actually hasn't been increasing is the amount of developers that maintain this infrastructure, okay? And for the least technical people... Uh, I, I always try to say that think of that okay like let's say that you use the software you have you find an issue and you have a fix for that issue. The maintainer is the person that actually has to review your fix and decide if they want to merge that to the code base right so So what really happens there is that uh, so what really really, really happens there is that um, at scale maintenance means many more things than just coding. Right? So what happens is that the maintainers are the people that do all of this ugly work of reviewing other people's contributions and decide if they want to merge it to the code base. Or maintainer, maintainers are the people that usually will organize the community, will answer questions about the community, they will write documentation, they will do all of these things that developers don't like to do. Right? Developers like coding. Uh, so, so, so when we're talking about the open source sustainability problem, we always, you know on our side, focus on maintainers how can we actually incentivize these people that are already intrinsically motivated to do that work? And they've been doing that work, right? So how can we actually go and incentivize them? How can we provide them a different form of financing for all of this great work that have been doing? We think that incentivizing contributions, calling bounties, like you can think of it however you want. We think that this is very interesting, and we think that because there's a lot more money today on open source, people are more likely to give back. And we think that this potentially could become the future of work, and that's exciting. But we want to start with the real problem, which is we have all of this infrastructure that exists today, and that you know people have been contributing and maintaining maintaining that for for years without seeing anything. So we wanna give them more incentives to do that. Uh, One of the interesting things that we see from uh, GitHub is that we know that even in the most successful open source projects, I think two thirds of them have one or two maintainers. It's that problematic, you know. You 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 even have like big networks take Ethereum. which we all know, I think the core maintainers are like, again, on the 10 to 12 people. Uh, take one of the most successful exit of, of an open source code base, MySQL, uh, I was speaking uh, with them and, you know, when they sold the, the project for a billion, they had eight maintainers. So we see that, you know, there is this imbalance Few maintainers, hundreds of contributors at the good projects, hundreds of thousands or millions of users. And the, the, the gap is widening, right? And the gap is widening for a reason. You know, people, this is ugly work. People don't like to do that work. So what we're trying to do with OScoin is we try to offer them a different form of financing. Again, through this process of token curation that I explained before, you know, these will be the people that will be controlling the funds that the projects will be receiving Uh, through, through the network. And then they can deploy them any way they want. They can deploy them as a form of salary to themselves... They can deploy them as like, hey, let's split them and incentivize contributions within our communities. Let's actually potentially, you know, finance through a smart contract our dependencies, and you have this, you know, beautiful flow of 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 tokens. They can do whatever they want. Yeah,
0: yeah. Although I mean, that's still that's still assuming that the incentives is monetary. I think I actually think there needs to be maybe like a rethinking of like what that role looks like and what that role is, like, in a, in a more philosophical way, like, mm-hmm. create the way that, like, sort of the charge ahead dev who's, like, building cool stuff, like, that's cool. You're like, oh, yeah, I want to be that guy. Yeah, but then yeah. it's like, somehow you have to make that uh, those other roles really attractive to large yep. groups of people so that they are involved. I think, actually, UX design and design in general in the space is struggling with a similar issue where it's like, yeah, you can pay for it. But somehow the respect isn't there or their role in the community is not as like clearly visible. And so it's always sort of this secondary, like lesser job, which is a problem. Because no one wants that. No one wants to do the lesser job. That sucks. <laughs>
3: That's that's a great observation, and to add on that is that you know there's a visibility problem as well. We don't think that it's black and white maintainer versus contributor. We think that you can have all sorts of you know it's it's a range, obviously. But today you go on GitHub and you have no idea how many people are maintaining this project. You know, yes, hundreds of thousands of you know users or like hundreds, like the little number, like one thousand five hundred contributors. Great. But how many people are really doing the hard work behind that? By, like, speaking to people, we heard all of these crazy stories, you know, that, you know, people were looking for visibility for the work that they were doing to, to, to for example, to, to get a spot in a good conference, you know, or to, you know, like we, like Nadia from GitHub was telling me the story of certain maintainers having issues entering the United States because on the customs you know, they wouldn't recognize their work because they couldn't prove that they were these very significant people behind these very significant projects in a way. So you have all of these funny problems and I agree with you, it's visibility plus everything else. Yeah,
2: yeah there, there's uh, like s- s- um, someone, um, yeah,
3: Andre Saltz from the Scuttlebutt community actually, who's
2: been thinking a lot about this, like distinction between maintainers and contributors and maybe there shouldn't be a distinction or maybe we need less dependency on maintainers as a whole. Um, and I think that's super interesting. And it's also something we want to explore. Basically, this idea that like, okay, maybe the, the, so, so key formulas as maintainers are the bottleneck, right? Which makes sense because it means that all contributions need to go to a certain set of people. And so they can be seen as a bottleneck. Um, and if we found a way to, um, to remove that bottleneck, then, you know, the kind of velocity of open source contributions and, and projects could increase and this is this is something i think it's yeah it's partly a ux problem it's partly um how do we think of these people how do we think of projects as br- of branches of forks you know like maybe um there's no such thing as a canonical fork of a project maybe um there there's an easier way to reconcile forks Um, maybe everyone has their own fork, right? So, and and people do this already in companies, right? Like you'll often have your own fork of something that you're contributing to or using a lot because you don't want to wait for the maintainers to merge your code. Um, So we definitely want to explore kind of different ways of thinking about this as a whole.
1: So going back a little bit to GitHub and its network effects, I mean, we're talking a little bit about network effects. Something that happened with GitHub was that you had a lot of open source projects there and that kind of drew people into GitHub and kind of got people using it. And then what happened actually was that people were moving more and more of their private repositories because people were used to using GitHub. They wanted to use GitHub with their companies as well, completely natural. So um, then you had a lot of like private repos getting involved. And then actually what I think has happened is that because Like now I'm talking to people that have only used GitHub with private repos, that only use GitHub in their companies. And they're like, oh, but I want to contribute to open source. And they already know all the tools because they've been using it in their company. So it it kind of feedbacks into driving open source as well. So this is only possible because you can have private code and private contributions. Have you given any thought at all to including like private repositories in your model? So and definitely, so, so in early models, actually, we were thinking like, you know, a little bit um, in,
2: in the Filecoin way where it's like, okay, if you want something private, then you have to encrypt it locally, send over the private, uh, send over the encrypted version, sorry, and then decrypt it when you download. Um, but the way we're building things now with, with Radical, um, which I mentioned earlier, is that you don't have one chain um, where everyone's data is. You have multiple chains. You have as many chains as you need, and so in this way, it's a little bit more of um, you know something like a, a Scuttlebutt or a Dat um, uh, protocol, where you you can have like within a company or even uh, with a small group of people um, your own chain to which you push um, in a completely decentralized way, which means you don't have to sync up with the rest of the network, and you can work like that as much as you want before having to sync or. And again you can decide just not to sync so for something like a private organization or a private set of repos um, you could keep these amongst a certain set of nodes within your organization that would be one way um, and the other way of course is to encrypt but i think um, that poses a lot of other problems
1: is that like a sharding approach then that has a shared security pool or is it more like starting up a private chain and just doing your own thing separately? Yeah,
2: it's a little bit more like the latter. Um, it, it is, um, incidentally, the way uh, we plan the shard in the far future when that becomes an actual problem. Um, but in the beginning, uh, you can think of it more as actually a, not, a, not a use case to you know, make things run faster or to split the data out, but just a use case to be able to have more control over what you do with your own data um uh, and like not requiring everyone to agree on like one sort of um common format for instance
1: so on the note of you mentioned filecoin and, and how things actually get stored there's no storage of like code on the actual chain i i think it gets stored on ipfs if i'm correct and Right. How do you deal with, like, IPFS has no guarantees on availability or, or anything, really. How do you deal with that? Yeah, this is,
2: um, is going to be a um, difficult problem for us, basically, for, for anyone really trying to store things. But um, the, the way we're thinking about it is that IPFS is um, potentially going to be a very good option to, um, to replicate data, basically. But as you said, there's no incentive to do so. Um So this is something we're we're looking into right now and um but the the basic idea is that we will store some code on chain, some code off chain um essentially depending on the size of the code base or the patches um so the, obviously that the minimum thing you could do is just store um hashes so every time a repository is updated, you store the new hash um, Something we could do though is that. For, um, for most projects that don't have, you know, like images and things like that, you can actually store code on-chain, um, and it's not that expensive. It's, uh, we kind of calculated uh, an average of something like 10 kilobytes per, per commit. Um, and um, with the, again, um, the sharding aspect that we talked about, when that becomes a problem for all nodes to store all code, um, we have kind of a, uh, a story there to, to kind of move towards a sharded system. In the beginning though, I think um, uh, it'll be possible to store everything on a few machines, essentially, or what it means every, every like a full node will be able to store everyone's code, essentially, until, um, you know, you, you have problems where you want to store gigabytes of, uh, like a CSV or something, or um, but for the most part, code it does not take up that much space, especially if it's compressed.
1: The uh, final question I have Which is really just a question that I wanted to include because I want to plug this book. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that is. uh, I think we have a book in common, like as a common favorite. Um, I tweeted this a while ago, and I tweeted (laughs) (laughs) it. It's a book by uh, Peter Hinchin's called Social Architecture, and it's largely about this topic about how do how do open source community organize? How do they work? uh, You know what drives people to contribute? How, if at all, how has this book influenced your thinking and your design in this, of the this system?
3: Yeah, great, great question and great book. So I've read the book, I think a year ago, a friend of mine recommended that. And it was, I think, one of the most practical books on online communities that I've ever read. You know, like a lot of people talk about online communities, but, you know, you ask for advice, and you don't get much. Uh, so the book has been influential in our thinking in many ways. One of the key things that I kept from that is specifically his approach on bootstrapping communities, specifically about how to think about the different audiences of at different phases of your project who will be the first people that will use you why they will use you how to satisfy their needs how are you moving from that phase to a phase of like wider adoption what does that mean for your project basically this type of thinking that he has was extremely helpful for us uh so that's you know more like on hacking the growth of of like you know creating growth for for an online community so that's the one thing that comes immediately to my head and of course like you know in terms of motivations and governance his resources are also very very helpful although there there are you know the, there are many more pieces that have been very influential to us the one Big piece that has been very influential to us on on open source motivation uh, on open source motivations. Sorry, uh, was Nadia Egval's Roads and Bridges report uh, that really we think that it really communicates the problem of open source maintenance and open source sustainability uh, better better than anything else. Uh, and then in terms of you know community governance, there that's a you know that's a wider topic even wider uh, and there we're looking towards you know governance of decentralized entities as a whole you know we try to figure out what we can learn from that then we're looking towards you know governance of blockchain networks and there's some interesting work there recently uh, yeah and then
0: anything you can recommend on that
3: i mean uh like like I recently read radical markets <laughs> which is a, a hot book on the space I guess it's very interesting it's very interesting thinking I don't agree with all of their propositions but i I enjoy clear thinking and different thinking so I would recommend radical markets they talk about quadratic voting, which is one of the topics that is you know, it receives attention on, on the blockchain space. So that's the last one that I read. Do you want to um, talk about Eleanor Engstrom? Oh, yeah. Like, that is that is great. Uh, so uh, Eleanor Ostrom uh, was the, this economist that did research on commons. Uh, so her whole thesis was that she didn't buy the tragedy of the commons problem. She said that like, hey, yes, that's a great theory, but the world's actually much more complex and, you know, the tragedy of the commons resonates and, you know, works like that sometimes, but that's not always the case. So she did extensive work on communities for the last, you know, 40, 50 years, I guess. Uh, and, and, and she said a few things. One of the things that she discussed was she challenged the theory of goods basically, that the world is split between public and private goods and instead she propose a different framework based on subtractability and ex- excludability. The idea here is that, for example, you might have a good that it's very hard to exclude people from, like a lake, for example. How do you do that? It's impossible to, extract, uh, to, to, sorry, to exclude people from, from, from accessing that, that resource. But if you consume from that resource, then everyone else is starving. So so the subtractability is actually quite high. And, 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 and when she talked about this specific niche, she called this common pool resource. Uh, and that's how you find this term these days in economics. And then she went from that and she tried to look at how people have been managing common pool resources across the world. Again, the previous thinking was public private goods, private goods, the markets, public goods, the governments. She said, I like, you know, the story is not that simple. Actually, we have things like common pool resources. Uh, and in common pool resources, sometimes the community has been, you know, the most effective way to govern this sometimes the government has been the most effective way to govern this sometimes the markets have been the most effective uh, way to govern this but there's not this one size fit all solution that you know the world was talking about um with the tragedy of the commons Mm. Uh, she won the nobel prize in 2009 i think for her work
0: pretty contemporary
3: oh yeah 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 it's, it's very contemporary uh and and she has been our best resource when it comes to designing, you know, self-organizing communities. She so has like very you know, very simple but intuitive guidelines. Uh, mm-hmm. One one that I kept was that humans are much more likely to respect rules that they they came up with, <laughs> which makes total sense, you know. Uh, and mm-hmm. this is, we think that this is very very relevant for token creators, for example. Um, yeah. Eleanor nice. Ostrom has been one of our best resources.
0: I think we should definitely link to some of this in our show notes. Yeah. Um, so expect to see them there.
3: One one point there, maybe if I can, I can say one more thing. Uh, a lot of people talk about commons, right? Uh, we think about open source as a public good, but we think about the treasury of the OS coin network as a common, which is, and it it goes back to the framework that i explained before where basically it's very hard it's very hard to exclude people from accessing that right any token holder we want any token holder to be able to have a say on the curation right so it's very hard to exclude people from curating information in there but the subtractability is very high again right so that really satisfies the the common pool resource definition um so if you steal from that pool, everyone else is just starving around you. Uh so open source public good, treasury, common pool resources. And we're thinking that in general for people that designing treasury systems on blockchains, we think that, you know, research on common pool resources could be could be very uh, very eye-opening. I get excited with this thing, sorry.
0: I can see it's good. <laughs> it's awesome. No, <laughs> We've sorry. never really gone into the definition of commons and like what that takes into account. I like this. Um I would say on that note, um, do you guys have any sort of last thoughts?
3: Thank you for having us. Uh, Excited for um, specifically community-owned networks. We want to see this experiment being played out on the internet. Uh, So, yeah. Yeah, thanks for having us.
1: Well, thanks very much for being on the show. It's been a great conversation about a topic, I think, all us developers, and certainly all us open source developers, care a lot about. So, thank you very much.
0: And even us non-developers working in this space also <laughs> paying very much attention to it. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. this was a this was a fun journey with you guys. Cool. Thanks a lot, guys. Cool. Thanks. Thank you. And to our listeners, thanks for listening.
1: Thanks for listening.